Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Um, we just want to start in prayer today. Um, this past week and a half, two weeks, uh, we have seen um, new deaths in the community through just kind of police interactions in the um, black and brown communities. And so our hearts are burdened today for what people are experiencing and going through. Um, and knowing and understanding everything that goes into this is above my pay grade. But what is not is the pain and suffering of communities of people who feel unseen. Um, and so this morning, we want to just pray for them and their families. We want to pray over the community, and we want to ask the Lord to give us a vision and a heart for those who are hurting and suffering in the midst of this. Can we do that together? Um, and so the names of the young men were Dante Wright and Adam Toledo. And so can we just pray together for them and their families this morning? Father, we just stop and we pause our hearts. And um, God, we feel punch drunk. Like there have been too many instances and occurrences of violence against young men that seem unjust or that seem um, really just desperate and broken. And in the midst of this, Father, there are broken communities of people who are outraged and hurting. There are people taking to the streets and trying to take things into their own hands. And in the midst of that, God, I pray that you would give us a heart of compassion and empathy for those who are in pain today, Lord. God, we pray for the families of Dante Wright and Adam Toledo, Father. We ask you that the peace that passes all understanding would surround them and protect them and go before them. And God, for people like us, for people like me, who don't understand the experience of so many communities in our nation, who haven't had the same experiences, God, I pray that you would burden us with your compassion and your heart. God, I pray that you would help us to cross lines and barriers that divide and to be bridges for what you want to do, Father, in the earth. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be with them today, Father. God, I just pray for agents of righteousness and transformation and justice. People, men and women of your name who can be in those circumstances and situations, God, to extinguish the fires of pain and hurt and anger and outrage from people on the outside who are just talking, but they're not feeling. And Lord, we just ask you that you would give us feeling for those who are hurting and in need today. And we trust them to your hands today, God. We thank you. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan, that you stand over the nations and over the kingdoms of the earth and that you have a purpose and a plan. And Lord, we just say, help us to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for praying. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Um, we are working through the Gospel of Mark. Last week we saw... Um, how Jesus showed compassion to a group of 4,000 hungry outsiders, Gentiles. And we were challenged by the God who invites us to participate in the miraculous as we live in compassion toward the needy and the hurting around us. And this week, we pick up just as Jesus has crossed over the Sea of Galilee into this region called Damanutha, and we're going to read together all the way to 21, but we're going to take it in chunks, if that's okay this morning. Uh, so in verse 11, it says, the Pharisees came and they began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. And he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and he crossed over to the other side. 
There are very few things in the scriptures that we see that actually cause Jesus to leave, that repel Jesus, but they do exist. We see Jesus pushing into almost every circumstance and situation, but there are these blips on the radar where we see an interaction that causes Jesus to simply say, not today, I'm leaving. And here in Mark chapter 8, we bump into exactly one of those situations. And so here's just a little highlight reel of some things that we see Jesus walking away from. In John 6.15, we see a group of 5,000 people try to force Jesus to be their king. They're going to force him to rule over them. Uh, which would take him out of the Father's plan to lay down his life for all people. And so, Jesus walks, right? Jesus' plan is to be king, but he's not king like that. Jesus walks. In Luke 4, 28 through 29, after telling his friends and family at home that only in his hometown does a prophet have no honor, they take him up to a cliff to throw him off and kill him because they are so angry with him. And the scripture says that Jesus just walks right through them. Again, not a part of the plan, not my time, right? But nothing tops what we read here in Mark chapter 8. The the scripture is unclear if there's days or weeks or minutes in between him landing and this conversation he has with the Pharisees, but what we get from this is that it's so severe that Jesus jumps back into the boat immediately and walks away. Immediately. There's no other circumstance or situation in the scriptures like it. And so we want to just explore what's in this conversation that riles Jesus up to the point that he leaves so quickly. And I think I can just sum it up in two words for us. Pride and unbelief. What Jesus encounters in this moment is what we could condense to those two terms, pride and unbelief. We just read last week how Jesus has been ministering to 4,000 people. And it's only after three days that they've been with him, gleaning from him and hungry for his words and the words of life. They're learning from him. And they're not even insiders. They're Gentiles. They're people who have no covenant promises. They have no access to God. They have no reason to believe that God would have mercy on them. And yet they sat for three days and three nights listening and longing their hearts open to what God is doing through this man, Jesus. And Jesus has encountered faith from them, and he finishes his time with compassion and breaking loaves and fish because they have been with him, and they've been longing to find what is true and what is real. And then juxtaposed against that story is this story. Outsiders longing to hear, longing to know, longing to be filled with the truth, and then insiders whose hearts are stone cold. And these stories are next to each other for a reason. Now, the Pharisees were the self-proclaimed truth bringers in the Jewish culture. They were devoted to knowing God's laws, but they had forgotten God's heart for people. They used their religious knowledge to create a hierarchy and to keep people from getting to God. And because of this, the Pharisees had this special knack for pushing Jesus' buttons. Do you have anybody in your life that just pushes your buttons really easily? Y'all lying in church on Sunday morning? (laughs) Interesting. How many of you have people who can just push your buttons? Like, you know, that person's going to get on my dang nerves today. It is going to be the grace of God if I don't punch them, right? Last night we're sitting at the house and uh, I I hear this quite often. The girls will be arguing in the next room and then I say something like, girls, get in here. I'm working on my sermon, being spiritual. Girls, get in here. And they come in and uh, very quickly, both of them go straight into what happened and it's always their version. You know what I'm saying? 
well, you wouldn't believe this. She pushed me. Or you would, Nora will not listen. And Nora's saying, well, Lily has to have everything her own way. And then it gets to the end of the conversation, and Lily says, she punched me in the eye. <laughs> yeah. Some people just know how to push your buttons. Some people make you want to swing. The Pharisees made Jesus feel ready to fight, right? Like the Pharisees pushed Jesus's buttons. In verse 11, Mark actually says that the Pharisees came. That word came is this military verbiage. It's not like pleasant and delightful, the Pharisees come out. No, it is the picture of men coming out who are warring against someone else. It is kingdom against kingdom. It is nation against nation. Here comes Jesus, pull out the artillery. The Pharisees come out to meet him. And their posture toward him is simply to shut Jesus up and to shut him down and disprove his claims of being Messiah. And so they begin to question Jesus. Now, depending on your translation, it may say something different than question. Has anybody got something different than question? That is robust, yes. Argue contentiously and debate. That is actually the definition. So if you take this word, what Bible are you reading? I need that one. Amplified. We're going we're gonna to pull it all out. Okay. I almost made a mistake and said what I was thinking, and then I practiced self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And my wife will be much happier with me. Okay. Um, yes, they, they began to argue with him and dispute him and interrogate him. Now listen to this. Think, think of the moment if you're with Jesus. Tenderness and affection from outsiders. Hard-heartedness, hard-headedness, and unbelief from insiders. Open ears and open hearts, interrogation and dispute. You feel it? Their, their heart posture towards him is just hardened. These people have so adopted a way of seeing spirituality and faith that they're missing out that God is in front of them. They just want to pick a fight. They want a Messiah who fits their social agenda and who matched their interpretation of a warlord king who would come and crush their enemies. They wanted a Pharisee. And since Jesus didn't fit their criteria, they just turned a blind eye to his ministry and they shut their ears to the truth that came from his life. And I think, how often am I like the Pharisee? And I think, how often are we like the Pharisees? We have some experience with God, and then we, we just try to replicate that experience over and over and over. We have some invitation to know God, and then we just try to replicate that. And we stiff arm and strong arm God out of the equation of our life because he shows up in a way that we don't recognize or that we don't like. How many of you know that God doesn't check in with you to see if you like how he's about to show up? He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need my permission. Sometimes God shows up in these ways that are so uncomfortable, so uncanny, so unlikely that we have to be people whose eyes are open and ears are open if we're going to see and experience the God who is with us and shaping us and transforming us. And he does it on his own terms, friends. I can't tell you the moments where I've been shaped and formed by conversations with, again, Lily, you're on the highlight reel, my, my daughter. Where she would just say the very honest thing. Daddy, you're on your phone too much. Ooh, voice of the Lord. 
I didn't want to hear that. Dad, you're not paying attention. You know? Or Nora just saying, can you play with me? Voice of the Lord. My, my ears have to be open to hear that. And there are moments where I've done really well with that. And there are moments where I have failed that test miserably. I'm too busy. And sometimes we are, right? But sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're just busy. Our hearts are just tied up. We're not focused. We're not present. We're dialed out. And somehow my eyes close and my ears close. I miss God. I think how often we are like them. Friends, it's a really scary thing when we are so convinced of our way of seeing things that we miss out on what God is actually doing. We make God into our image. We adopt the idea that God only does what we want him to. And when he shows up, we just think that can't be God. And I believe this morning we need to see this story to wrestle with the reality that God will actively show up in your life in conditions and in people and in situations that you wouldn't prefer, choose, or orchestrate on your own because he loves you and he wants to shape you. And often, even if he showed up in the flesh, you still wouldn't receive him. They don't see him. God, God's standing in front of them and they're arguing with him. God's here. He's here. And we say, no, not for me. I don't do it that way. Now, if you're Jewish and you hear Mark's next line that the Pharisees began to test Jesus by demanding a sign from heaven, you're actually hearing Exodus language. All the Jews in the house who are reading the Gospel of Mark, they hear the story of Israel, just like we talked about last week. They hear wilderness language here. So Israel testing God in the wilderness. This is a picture of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years where they tested God and they actually tried to put him to the test and say, are you God or not? Over and again, 40 years worth of experience of just putting God on trial for the ways that he didn't show up for them the way that they wanted. And in the same way they denied God and put him on trial, so the Pharisees are denying Jesus and interrogating his ministry. Secondly, signs. When they hear the word signs, they're not just hearing present signs. They're thinking the signs of God in the wilderness. They're thinking about Moses calling down plagues on the nation of Egypt. They're thinking about the, the angel of death coming and them marking their doorposts. They're thinking about the Red Sea parting and manna falling from heaven and fire resting on the mountain. They're thinking of signs. And so here they are, testing God again in the flesh. Here they are again, demanding a sign when he's just been feeding 4,000 people. Wow, how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget the last time that God showed up for me. I don't know what happens in our hearts and our minds. In fact, the end of this passage, one of the things that Jesus says is, don't you remember? Like, you can feel God's like, his broken heartedness. Don't you remember? We just, I just, we just talked about, it. I just showed up for you. I have just saved you and cleansed you and made you new. I've provided for you. What meal have you lacked today that you can't trust me for another? I am the God who shows up for you. He's saying here that the Pharisees are just like Israel in the wilderness, filled with hard hearts and unbelief. And what did God do to the Israelites in the wilderness? He lets them wander for 40 years only to perish there. 
Think about it. He's saying this path of knowing of spirituality and following God, it leads to death. It is not a living way. So Jesus loads up and he leaves. You know, it's really easy for me to dislike the Pharisees. And I think it's easy for me to dislike them because I see so much of myself in them. I see so much hard-heartedness or moments of unbelief that creep up in, in my experience, in the way that I interact, where I see something new and I just, <laughs> I just have this, you know. Some of you are just wide open to whatever comes. You're like, yes, all the experiences. And then, you know, us normal ones are like, ooh, I don't know. I'm just playing. <laughs> but some of us feel like that. Like, I just have to stiff arm every situation, and there is this invitation for us to see that this isn't just about the Pharisees, actually, is it? It's about all of us. Let's look a little further. Verse 14 says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Now, remember, they had just gotten done collecting seven basketfuls of loaves. If, if you are one of the disciples, aren't you thinking, we should take a couple basketfuls with us? We should, we should carry this with us. But they get into the boat, and all they have is one loaf of bread. And Jesus leans over, and he whispers, Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, this is a real moment. Like, if you need to feel good about yourself, just read about the disciples and their interaction with Jesus here. This will make you feel spectacular about how intelligent you are and how full of faith you are. Because the next thing that happens is the disciples totally miss the point of what Jesus is doing. Anybody else? Have we ever done that? Jesus is doing one thing, and then I just say, no, it's another. Okay. So that's what's happening here. But he uses this terminology, and I think we should push into it. He says, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, what does that mean? How many bakers do we have in the room? One. Christy's hand's not up. Her hand should be up. So what does yeast do? What does yeast do? It causes stuff to rise, right? It's this thing that you put, and I, I wouldn't know that except that Chrissy's always like, can you go buy yeast? And I'm like, I don't know what it is. What is it? Um, she, she's always buying stuff that I have, like xanthan gum. What is xanthan gum? <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thickener. Yeah, but what is it? What? Okay. <laughs> yeast is a riser. It's an agent that you put into something, into dough, and it causes it to puff up and to rise. It makes it big and beautiful. But yeast also, if you leave it out too long, it becomes toxic. Yeast actually becomes poisonous if you leave it out too long. And you can imagine in the ancient world where they were trying to keep themselves safe from foreign agents that would become toxic and kill them, how important this is. Jesus says, watch out for that toxic teaching, that poisonous way of life of the Pharisees and Herod. Watch out. And the disciples in their simple-mindedness say, is it because we don't have any bread? (laughs) Now you can imagine being Jesus in this moment. He's just multiplied (laughs) seven loaves and a couple of fish, and he's fed 4,000 people. And they are pulled back to this moment of faithlessness and unbelief, much like their Pharisee counterparts. Insiders. Insiders who still don't get it. They still don't get it. And, And I think it's incredibly interesting that he says the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. He is pointing to two groups of people that are completely different from one another. The Pharisees was this insider sect of Judaism. They were scholars and sages who were all about the scriptures, but they had lost the heart of God, right? They were right-wing, nationalistic, 
um, conservative sect of Judaism. And I know we don't have any grid for hard right-wing, ultra-conservative, nationalistic people in our culture and community. And then Herod is a left-wing liberal leader caught up in idolatry and adultery. He was a sellout to Rome. He basically was a Jew who said, I don't care about the promises of God. I want to be rich, and I want to have lots of encounters in this life. And he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Watch out for the, the toxifying, poisonous teaching and lifestyle of both left and right that draw you away from who I am and what I'm doing. Now, friends, I, I think it's an incredible challenge to us right now to keep our eyes on the reality of what's happening around us. That inside and outside the walls of the church, the whisper of Jesus still carries incredible amounts of weight because we are very quickly getting pulled into Herod and Pharisaical forms of thinking and living. Are you with me? That we will choose left and right and say this is the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, I am neither here nor there. I'm going this way. I am redeeming the world through my blood, through the name of my Father. And if you want to come with me, you're invited. But if you want to just choose to have a, a political perspective that sorts people into these parties that you can label and reject and dismiss, then you can do that all day. But I'm going here. Jesus says, be careful. Be careful. You may think that this is the way to righteousness, and I tell you, it is not. Because Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth about who God is. And Jesus is the life that is in God. And we are being transformed by the Spirit into the image of Christ. Far be it from us to embrace anything that leads away from Jesus as the whole message of the gospel, as the whole picture of redemption, as the end game in what God is doing in the world. Far be it from us. And I want to caution you the same. Beware. Beware. Be cautious. Be careful that you don't adopt a kingdom of the world and say it's the kingdom of God. Jesus says this is important. And if I can just be so bold, um, I'm concerned watching the rhetoric in our communities right now um, just around present circumstances, friends. I'm concerned about the level of conspiracy theory that has become gospel. I'm concerned. I'm concerned at the level of deep-hearted conviction that many people have watching QAnon and then marrying that to Jesus. Can I just tell you, I don't have a word from the Spirit here. I, I just have this. Be careful. Be careful. Do not build your life on sand that is swallowing people alive. And whatever you're adopting as your mindset and way of thinking about what your life is about and what our nation is about, you have to ask yourself, what is the fruit that is being produced from this way of thinking? What's the fruit? I have yet to find people who are wrestling with living a life rooted in conspiracy theories that are living more deeply rooted in love and in the fruits of the Spirit and in a heart that longs to share the kingdom and the gospel with other people. And I'm not trying to be audacious or like hurtful. I'm just telling you, friends, I think it's bearing really bad fruit everywhere I look. I don't actually see any good fruit coming. And I see people being sucked into fear and anxiety in a way of living that I don't recognize as kingdom or as gospel. Be, be careful. And some of you are deeply concerned about vaccines. Can I just, as a pastor, just share with you, 
that the mark of the beast is about who you worship. It's about who you worship. Please do not walk in fear over taking a vaccine that is somehow going to mark you for a kingdom that is not Christ's kingdom. Now, I want us to be careful because, listen, some of you are very earnest and you're wrestling with this. I'm just telling you, I'm searching the scriptures and I'm praying through this. I don't see any tether to a mark of the beast or you choosing to walk away from Jesus attached to taking a vaccine to keep you from getting coronavirus and to keep others from getting coronavirus. So if you're carrying that anxiety and that pressure, I want to help to alleviate it. That's all. Is that okay? It's not attached. So now you can have a conviction about vaccines. That's fine. But I want to alleviate that pressure for us that somehow you're going to fail Jesus if you get a vaccine. That's not the truth. That's a deceptive ideology. Okay. And if you hate me, you can email me. My email is roman at fountaincity.org. I'll be responding in six to 12 months. What does Jesus say? He says, look out for the subtle ideologies that will undermine your faith and hope in me. Guys, you're with me. You're watching my ministry. Think about how important this is. He's in the boat and he says, it's important for you to hear this. That ideology can get into you. Friends, we are like sponges that walk around and we soak up all the junk that's around us. Be careful. Why is it so important that we dive into the scriptures and actually teach through that? Because we need to be careful of what it is that we're sponging up as our personal culture, of what we say is attached to Jesus and what's not. Be careful. Verse 16, and they discussed this with one another, and they said it's because we have no bread. Now, again, this is insane. They've just seen him do this. Jesse, they just saw him do this. They just saw this miracle. And they're here in this moment, looping back into this conversation. And on one level, it feels like, man, the disciples are just really dense and dumb. They don't understand the simple metaphor that Jesus is using, right? Yeast equals influence. They don't get it. But on another level, the disciples' unbelief has permeated the way that they think and live. So that even when they've seen Jesus provide, and even when they've seen him multiply, and even when they've seen him heal and deliver, they still can't or won't trust him to do it again in their daily lives. God, I saw you on the mountaintop. I saw you break bread for 4,000, but you can't possibly provide us a meal in the boat. God, I've seen you save me when I was broken and in despair. I saw you pull me out and set my feet on a rock, change me and transform me but there's no way that you're going to help me meet my needs this month or my bills this month. Their unbelief had permeated the way that they lived and acted. It sounds an awful lot like the Pharisees, doesn't it? It sounds an awful lot like you and I. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Oh man, I just wish in that moment that I could be there to hear the tone in his voice. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we read so much tone and it's like reading a text message, you know, and you think somebody's ticked off and they're really just like confused and they don't. Sometimes I think we miss Jesus's tone. I think we read anger here and I think it's hurt. I really, I, I think he's saying, why are you guys talking about this? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? 
When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Guys, do you still not understand? I think Jesus would lovingly take our faces in his hands this morning and say, do you still not understand? I am the God who multiplies. I create from nothing. I heal. I multiply bread and fish. You lack nothing good when you are with me because you are with the God of creation who can do anything. What, right? Ephesians 3.20. He can do immeasurably more than everything we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work in us. He can show up for me emotionally and mentally. He can show up for us in the physical and financial. There is nothing you lack when you're with God. That doesn't mean that there's not a stretch sometimes. That doesn't mean that there's not a waiting process. It means that when Jesus is with us, I don't have to look around and say, where, where am I going to get help for this? That breaks God's heart. Jesus' heart is broken here. And his response is gut-wrenching. Listen to this series of painful questions just one more time. And I want you to imagine that situation that you're in right now. right? Because this is easy in black and white and red on the pages of a Bible, but some of you are in circumstances where there is a real challenge to trust and believe. There's a challenge to trust and believe that God is for you, that he is with you, that he he has remembered everything that you're going through. But listen to his questions. Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? That word remember is this active word through the Old Testament where God calls us into a space to look back so that we can forecast ahead. Because sometimes it's scary to look ahead, right? I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know what the future looks like. He says, do you remember? I want want to bring you into a space of active memory, how God has shown up for you in the past. So that when you look ahead, you don't do it with fear and trepidation saying, maybe he's going to show up and maybe not. You can say God is the God who always shows up. Through his body, the people, through the spirit, God shows up. He is always there for me. He's saying you sound an awful lot like the Israelites in the wilderness, guys. Where they watched God deliver signs to Pharaoh and they made a way of escape from Egypt. But they still couldn't trust God to enter the promise. Do you still not see? Are your hearts hard? Jesus kind of points out that there are two heart postures, and I'm closing kind of with these thoughts, okay? There are two heart postures that we all lean into when we're operating in unbelief. Uh, The first is blindness, and the second is deafness. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Proverbs 20.12 says this. It says, ears that hear and eyes that see. The Lord has made them both. Now, this is like a very Jewish, like sarcastic statement. Because he's saying some people have eyes and ears that just, they don't see anything. They don't hear anything. I don't know if you're maybe ladies married to a person who doesn't see or hear anything. <laughs> or guys, maybe, maybe you, I don't know. Or maybe you're in a relationship or you've got parents who just don't see or hear. Like, I'm talking to you, but you ain't listening. You been there? God is saying sarcastically, I have made you with both capacities. To see not just what's in front of you, but to see. 
to understand, to perceive the movement of God, to understand what he's doing in your life, in our community, in our culture around us. You have eyes that can see, and you have ears that can hear, not just the voice of the person beside you, but the voice of God speaking, the voice of the Spirit breathing into your life. Eyes that see and ears that hear. But Jesus' question is just because you have eyes, that doesn't mean you can see. Those Pharisees, they all had eyes. But they had parked the car at their own experience. They could no longer see what God was doing. They all had ears, but they weren't hearing the voice of God. How do the outsiders, the, the prostitutes and tax collectors, hear God's voice when the insiders, the sages and scholars and theologians, can't hear him? And what kind of heart posture should we have if that's possible? Are you, are you with me? The humility, the tenderness that we have to cultivate as a group of people, that the, that the people who should know better and best do not, and those who are lost sometimes hear quickly, respond quickly, see quickly. We have to be careful. Sometimes it's easier to believe God for mountaintop miracles than for the mundane, everyday needs in front of us. Sometimes we close our eyes to the fact that you breathing and walking is a miracle. That you doing anything is a miracle. Some of you are just walking miracles. All of you walking miracles. Have you just done a study of the body lately? Have you looked at the universe or creation? Have you, we, we were looking at this app that Miko and Simone have for their baby. And marveling at like how incredible this app is. And how much like a baby dinosaur babies look like at like five weeks or something. It is wild. <laughs> it looks like a tail. There's all kind of things. Awestruck. <laughs> You're right. Thank you, Judah. Awestruck. Sometimes we miss the, the, the miracle in front of us because we're looking for the one out there. You know, it just struck me when I was thinking through this. For 4,000 people, if you're a disciple, you're saying, Jesus fed 4,000. And if you're a person on the ground eating, you're saying, Jesus fed me. Yeah, he can feed the 4,000, but he gave me my meal today. Yes, Jesus can, he can save the nations, but he saved me. He saved me. Do you know yourself? Do you know what a chore that would be? <laughs> Jesus did it. And sometimes we look for the big out there and we forget the little thing right here. Man, miracle upon miracle upon miracle. The times that he has saved us. The fact that me and my wife are married still. Are you with me? How many of you are married? Maybe you've been through some fire. And the, Like I look at Chrissy every time I do any kind of marriage counseling and I say, baby, I am so glad that we let the Lord keep us. And that we both decided we could do this work miracle. It's a miracle. I, I would love to see 4,000 people fed, but we close our eyes to the miracles right under our feet. And I wonder if we're not seeing. It's just easy to grow blind to the work of God around us, but it takes eyes that see. I remember when, when Lily was born, we always talk about this story. She came out of the womb, and you know, mostly kids kind of keep their eyes closed, and they scream, and uh, Lily came out, and her eyes were wide open. And it kind of freaked everybody in the room out. Because we were all like, oh, gosh, she's reading us. She knows. She knows my sin. You know, it was one of those things. 
beautiful little round head, and she's just wide-eyed. And the nurse even commented, she was like, oh, that's strange. They don't normally do that. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. She had eyes that saw early. And I remember the process. Some of you remember this with your babies where they first see their hands. And they think, oh, my God, these are attached to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of responsibility. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And, like, what a miracle this thing is. What miracles are we looking past? What places are we overlooking what God is actually doing? I think to the discomfort of the past two years, this is not noted, so I'm um, walking out a little bit, but there's a lot of discomfort with the conversations around race. God's doing something. Do we have eyes to see it? Do I? Do I? It's easy to close our eyes to the things that don't make sense to us. Are you with me? I know I'm creating tension right now. I'm okay. Can we be okay? All right. Sometimes we just don't see. He says, do you have eyes but fail to see? And deafness, do you have ears but fail to hear? It's so easy for us to go deaf to the voice of God because of the noise of this world. I, um, I'm finding in myself the older I get, I don't know if it's just having two daughters and a big dog and just we do stuff with a lot of people all the time. But I love sitting in silence because I have a really hard time just concentrating and hearing. I was uh, telling Charity and Stephen when they came in, I can't, I'm finding that I forget the details of basic things like, are you having a boy or a girl? I remember at Roman a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, you, do we know the sex of the baby yet? And they were like, yeah, we told you that like four weeks ago. And I was like, oof, okay. I'm forgetting details. Why? Our, our world is noisy, and it is full, and it is complicated. And there's something about entering back into the silence where you can hear God's voice. For some of us, you desperately need an invitation to hear God's voice. For some of you, you fill your lives with noise out of fear that you can't hear His voice. So if I can't hear God's voice, I'll hear Beyonce's voice, or I'll hear a Netflix movie's voice, or whatever. You know what I mean? Because why would I want to fill my life with insecurity and not being able to hear his voice? But John 10 tells us, my sheep know my voice. You, you will hear him if you belong to him and you're listening, right? And for those of you who are new to faith, that's not just auditory God speaking with a human's voice into my ear. That is, that is the voice of God who is actually moving in my heart. Sometimes for me, I can, it's like I feel him saying something or anybody else like that. You feel you have like a deep impression in your heart that something's happening. Or he even gives you an image in your mind or reminds you of a scripture. God speaks. And maybe it's not auditory to where your ears can hear, but the Holy Spirit speaks in a language that you can and will understand if you're listening. But just because you have ears doesn't mean you can hear. And Jesus leaves us there. I, I hate and love these stories where Jesus strands it with a painful question. Do you still not understand? There is something to be grabbed a hold of here. And I just want to ask you today in the same measure, do you see? Do we hear? Because God has given you the capacity to do both. 
But friends, let me caution you in the same way Jesus does his friends in the boat. Don't look left for hope. Don't look right for hope. Don't look to human systems and to kingdoms of this world. But look to Jesus and him alone. He is the only way we are saved. He is the only way this world is redeemed. He is the only way that we get out of this thing alive. Are you with me? And he's inviting you in to know him. And one of the beautiful things is he does leave it with the disciples not getting it. And Jesus doesn't say, see ya. Do you notice that? To, to the Pharisees with the hardened hearts, he says, bye. To the people whose hearts are open, but they still just have unbelief, struggle, and doubt, he says, keep coming. Keep coming. I am gentle and humble of heart. That's Jesus' posture toward you and I today. For some of you, you're struggling with, man, what does it mean to see him and to hear him? He says, if you're gentle and humble in heart, you can trust me. I'm sticking with you. I'm not going anywhere. For some of you today, maybe there's some places where the Lord is showing to you, and I haven't been seeing clearly, or I haven't been hearing clearly. And God's back is not turned to you. Right? His face. You turn and say, Lord, give me, give me eyes to see. And all you see is his face. No judgment, no condemnation. It's grace. It's love. It's mercy of God. Will you stand to your feet? I know that this is a bit of a challenging passage and a challenging word, and I hope today that it's, it's actually encouraging. That God wants communities of people who have the ability to see what he's doing and an ear for what the Spirit is saying. Part of what we're doing even this weekend, guys, we want to carve out space to listen together, to listen. And so we are um, just a couple minutes over. I want to take the next two minutes and just create some space for, for silence. For some of you, you haven't had silence anywhere you've gone for the last six, eight months. <laughs> you know, it's just filled with noise. And so can we listen together for the Lord? Maybe for some of you, you're just saying, God, I just desperately want to hear you. I think like that. Or de God, I, I desperately need to see what you're doing in my life, in my family, in, in my workplace. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak. So can we do that right now? Rome, will you turn the lights down just a bit? Holy Spirit, would you just come and speak to our hearts? Father, we confess that we don't have the answers, that you alone, like Peter said, you alone hold the words of life. Where can we go? So, Lord, we submit ourselves to you and to your lordship, Lord Jesus, and ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak. Can we just listen together for a moment? Ask him the questions you need to. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Father, we just confess as a community that we are blind and deaf apart from you. Lord, we're devoted to you. So God, would you give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Restore our hearts. For those of us who just feel like your back is turned, God, I thank you that today they look and they see your face. You don't hide it. You draw us in, Father. I thank you. Lord, your word says that when we obey you, that you come in and you actually eat with us. That the Son and the Father and the Spirit come, they dwell with us. And we dwell with you. Show us your face, Father. I pray that you would imprint us with your culture 
in your son's image so that we can live devoted to you in this world. Holy Spirit, would you quicken us for what leads away from you and toward devotion to other things that don't lead to life. We confess, God, we are a community of people listening to you. We're looking to you on how to walk and how to live. Teach us, Lord. King Jesus, teach us. We give you thanks, Lord. We praise you. Uh, I'd like to just officially kind of release, but I also want to create some space for prayer. Some of you have very real needs, and the Lord wants to meet you in those. Some of you, it's physical needs or emotional needs. For some of you, you want to, like, commit your life to following Jesus. You haven't maybe done that. Um, and so I just want to create space for that. Um, our prayer leaders, if you guys would just come up to one of these sides instead so that people can leave freely. Um, but if you have those needs, I want to invite you to come. Um, we're not trying to create any kind of distraction or whatever. We just want to make space for you to do that. Um, but thank you for being here. Thanks for sticking with it. And I just pray that the seed goes down deep and it does what seed does. It produces fruit. Uh, we love you guys. If you have any needs, come and talk to us. 